<laughs> you're right. Come on, girl. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm listening to you now. 97, 96 other guys, well, they weren't listening. I, I really like respect what you're doing. It's uh, I admire it. It's it takes a lot of courage to go and like challenge your own notions about what you're mentioning before about you were like kind of resenting men and stuff it takes a lot to do something like this to do sort of a project like this to really kind of like try to work on that right like it's it's, it's brave and it's uh i admire it because you're not anonymous i can say whatever i want like ah that wasn't me you know what i mean like you co-sign on what you say and you did it with no hesitation like, a couple times i was like golly particularly like when you talked about just the dude's interaction the expectations that you had, which is an internal thing, like you shared your inside, the sexuality thing. Those are the things that people comment on and make the stupid comments on when you put something out. Like, wow, yo. I'm really curious, like if I may ask a personal question and feel free to say no. What's that experience been like for you? Like on a personal level? Because that shit sounds tough. Oh my God, hi. Welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show podcast. I know it's been a while, but here I am, better late than never. Today's episode, I'm reflecting on the 100 Masked Men series, where I anonymously interviewed 100 random men from all walks of life to understand and better my own relationships with men. And listening back to this last season, wow, things have really changed, not because I selected 25 better men, but because I have become better. It was really tough to sit down and listen back to these conversations, but as I listened and heard the encouraging words from these men, I realized I had at least two men in my life every week encouraging me and supporting me for going on this journey, thanking me for giving them this time to talk and allowing them the space to share things that they never ever thought about before. And that was enough to keep me going, to ask those questions, to get those answers, to get people thinking. Now I have a hundred hours of a hundred conversations with a hundred different men that have vastly changed how I look at relationships as a whole. Here are the reflections I have had after interviewing a hundred masked men. I hope you enjoy the show. This season's theme was all about making the change to better our relationships. What are we going to do now that we've talked about things, we've learned about things, we have an understanding, maybe, maybe not. How are we going to do better? And I think the first way to do that is by having uncomfortable conversations. But before we even get there, is there going to be some resistance on how to bring something up? Because if you don't bring it up, then you don't have to fix it. And that's one thing that I started to realize in having these conversations is there was this massive resistance to have an uncomfortable conversation. In the end, though, and it's still something which causes me a lot of guilt, in the end, I did nothing. The problem is that I didn't really feel like speaking to him about his behavior was a valid option. As I said, like he's a very skilled manipulator and to use less loaded language as I was saying before he's the kind of person who can control conversations and I'm not that kind of person actually I have an opposite kind of energy so yeah I feel like if I'd tried to bring any of my suspicions up he either would have completely changed the subject or he would have reacted with extreme anger for me I'm very much a different person I'm very much about transparency and at least more now than ever because I don't want to repeat that mistake and have somebody close themselves off and feel like I need to reach, I shouldn't 
shouldn't reach that far if this person is really this closed off. Guy was handling it as gently as necessary. A lot of times she she did remark about how comfortable she felt with how gently I handled it with my hands and my words and my my energy. And so when it, when I wasn't gentle, because I felt to put a stern tone, she heard it like I was yelling. I think ego somewhat comes into play as well here. Like you don't want to bring it back up because you just want to, you just expect the other person to already know, to already know that it's upsets you or it's a situation that's a little bit sensitive for you. So you just expect them to be able to bring it back up so you can talk about it. It is very hard saying to the other person, like, look, I didn't say everything I needed to say. Can we talk about this more? And this isn't a personal attack on you. It is very hard. I found in myself, it is very hard to say that, especially when you're sort of admitting that you have a vulnerability. It's very hard for you to admit it to someone else. A lot of things are uncomfortable, but you still have to talk about them and move through them. And the fact that you're just like, oh, like, I don't want to talk about this. No, you're just saying that you basically don't care. But the thing is this, if we can't have those tough conversations, then who will? Then nothing will get done. Nothing will be spoken upon. All those things will just be moved aside, moved along, moved to the past. And they'll be like, boop, okay, that's fine. No. Let's start with my favorite question. What does masculinity mean? And how is our self-worth and identity wrapped in performing out these gender roles? I think what was really interesting is that in this last season, there was a huge variety of answers on what actually is masculinity, how is it defined, all of these different definitions and examples. But one thing that stuck out for me was that there was a shared feeling of the inability to satisfy these expectations. And what's really cool about talking about this inability is it made me question, do I even want to define what masculinity is anymore? Do I want a definition? Because I'm not sure if there's a benefit to having gender roles clearly defined anymore. My introduction to masculinity came with punishment because I wasn't performing it properly. It's almost like when you start a job, you're learning something new, it's your first time, you're bound to make mistakes and there's two approaches to it. You can be nurturing and encouraging, which obviously for me allows me to thrive, but you could also be a really like asshole boss who shits on you who tells you like, what are you doing? You're making mistakes. It just makes you feel generally awful for making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Over time, that's not the type of environment you want to be at. I've learned in life. And so I feel like my exposure to masculinity, usually being experiences of me not measuring up, experiences of me disappointing my family and my loved ones, and just causing general confusion, I think set me up for a life I, I kind of disdain being a guy. What attribute of masculinity are you most afraid to lose? Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. The, the, the physicality, because I feel like a lot of the other things are much more fluid, but that mm -hmm. feels like something that it, a big distinction as a man. I've never thought of masculinity within sex, to be honest. I guess like if I think about it now, like when I'm getting head i think feels pretty masculine for me sex is not about dominance and i don't go well with women who want some type of dominance once it gets hair pulley and like choky i'm out I'm, i don't want that like i don't like uh, i don't even like doing it
I couldn't put that in words better where you were saying a lot of guys want to feel needed. That is so true. You have no idea. There's a lot of strong independent women out there who are comfortable with that. And they don't need someone to just sweep them off their feet and tell them everything's taken care of. I think a lot of guys are self-conscious of that because biologically, like physically, males are dominant. That's mm -hmm. just what it is. And so there is that psychology of like, oh, the dominant, the strength takes care of the weak. That's why we're looking at it wrong because it's like that's what's ingrained in your head. Like, oh, women are weak. And so a lot of guys, even though they don't think of it that way, they're thinking that in their head. And you've seen it, obviously, because then they're like, oh, well, I'm here to take care of you because that's their purpose. That's like, that's why I'm put on this earth to do it. And it's like now women can and should be able to say, no, 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 I don't need that. I'm good. And I think guys have a lot of problems recognizing that about themselves. That's just another thing, like the gender roles hurt both genders. It's just typically it hurts women more, but like even men, they can't like express their emotions. They have to be macho. They have to be consistent with their thoughts. Like they have to put up this persona and it's exhausting for both parties. And I wish that people were more aware of it. With this season being all about relationships and how to change our relationships for the better, what was interesting is talking about relationships with fathers and how this father figure was the definition of what masculinity was supposed to be. This was their role model. This was what they were supposed to follow. And I think what was really interesting is how was love communicated by these fathers and how does that then change how these men interact with other people in their lives and also communicate love? You know, growing up, to show love was considered soft. So I never would tell my friends I love them and I cared and being a mentor and me, me working with, the, with, with young men. The young men had to be no older than six, seven, eight. And, and it was just one day, I just told them all, I said, man, I love you guys. And it's like simultaneously, they all looked at me and said, man, we not gay? Like, why are you, you know? And it's like, I had to take that in because as a young man, I understand their concept that love means soft and to care means soft. Definitely boys don't cry was something I heard a lot. There's definitely some trauma around like, my dad policing the way I walked or my mannerisms and things like that. If he felt like they were too feminine, like don't walk like that, you know, just, just like, all, he would also say things that were, that were hurtful too. Uh, they were very homophobic. And, you know, my dad was, he was a Taekwondo instructor part-time. Well, that's like his passion. So, you know, we would play fight and that was really the only time where we would have like physical intimacy that actually made my dad proud is when I made him laugh. And the way that I made him laugh was usually through me acting out something or me using like inflections in my tone or me using voices or me regurgitating something I saw on TV. That's what would make him laugh. But it's funny because later on in seventh grade, I would get bullied for doing that because again, it was seen as gay. It was seen as feminine, like literally just raising the inflection of my voice and being expressive with how I spoke was considered feminine growing up for me because I, I like I didn't say I love you until I turned 18 like not even to my parents like, I didn't say I love you like it just in our culture it wasn't it's not like a, nobody just be out there saying I love you all the time like in our family that didn't happen until like later on in life so I, I guess I picked up love like later and to, I guess love was just, it was just, a, I don't know how to explain it. It's just a feel like I want to be around you more than I want to be around other people. 
that's the best way I can explain it. <laughs> I'm really bad at like that stuff. I, I had a conversation with my father about, so let's, let's see if I can have a new conversation with him. And I was like, hey, Poppy, like, what's your love language? So this Haitian man that, you know, pretty hard figure growing up most of my life, never could really be emotional with him. And eventually he kind of shares like quality time is really important to him. And we were doing that. And he was like, I don't need you to buy me things. I was just like, just talking like this. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I got it. And in that moment, I really saw something. I was like, wow, my dad really loves me. Like my, my father loves me. He loves all of us. And he learned that from his father because his father loved him. And he, he's so present to that, even to this day, it makes him want to cry. Something that he would never have done in front of me before. Like, wow, this is so beautiful. There's so much love. There's so much abundance like in our family. And it, and it started with me having that shift inside of me. I think just the more we normalize these personal relationships and knowing that love is not something that is just there for when you're dating somebody, it will also really make the idea of telling somebody that you're dating, I love you less heavy. Like you, you don't have to, uh, 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 you know? Oh my gosh, should I say it to him? Will I scare him away? Will he run away? And all sorts of stuff because they're not, no one's used to hearing it. And the more we actually normalize this idea, at some point, the only thing that will be different about your I love you will be how you say it, right? Mm -hmm. It will carry more emotion. It will carry more energy. They'll feel the difference, but it's not going to be, and I'm always going to be choking over the, the word by itself. I just think we're hung up on a lot of words and that's one of them. Speaking about the way to say I love you and we're talking about family here on saying I love you and the struggle with that. What about saying I love you to friends? I think we have prioritized saying I love you to a romantic partner so much and that's all we really see in movies and pop culture. But how do we actually communicate love on a daily basis to all different types of relationships? And I've been spending the last year really focusing on platonic relationships with men. And it has definitely been an unpopular opinion. So this is what I've heard from men and their belief on whether or not women and men can be friends. I guess I think that we probably overvalue relationships mm -hmm. and culture. And so I think you have a lot of people longing for Rom romantic relationships on the basis of like the media they they procure or the systems of family they grew up in or whatever there's a hopeless romantic that lives in some of us and you're like man if this is the person that i'm supposed to like that i what if this is a what if this is a magical person for me what if this is some dope shit like duh, we take a risk and but part, why does it have to be romantic why can't you just take a big risk and right. be like because so that's, that's what a hopeless romantic is i don't think most people are out here looking for friends like this just like really and truly People might become friends, but you're not stopping. We don't stop and talk to every person. So we're not looking for friendships, man, male and female. We're not stopping to, like, you aren't stopping these the dudes who are sitting down going, no, no, forget about that. Like, tell me about what you're interested in. You're not looking for friendships with these guys. And so I don't think, I think that's a ideological way of looking. Like, we're not, we don't, we don't have time. I don't have time for the people who are my friends right now. Because for me, friendship comes with a level of support and interaction and regular, like, I don't have time to have friendships with everybody. Imagine having this conversation with 50 people in a day. Like, I wouldn't get anything done. I was saying, like, yo, guys, we don't need new friends, actually. Like, and that's the truth. What's a friend, right? You ask me what's a friend. A friend to me is someone, hey, man, I'm deep down in the hole. I don't know. I'm about to lose my crib. 
and I'm about to be evicted from I don't know where, I need a couch to sleep on, right? And that friend's gonna be like, yeah, bro, like come here, no fucking biggie. Like stay here for a month and whatever, like I'll feed you if ever. I think there's any girls that a guy can do that with. It's impossible. It's like- My friend has been living in my condo in Toronto for the last six months. I don't think it's like the standard because a lot of guys like we're really like, yo, if a girl has a guy friend, it's really tricky. I see a lot of people say, I love her, is my best friend. You want to be romantic, love them, but you also want to be able to rely on them and, you know, have kind of like almost like that best friend type of relationship where y'all can do things, you can talk about anything, y'all can have fun and just goof off. That's my kind of concept of it, of it. But if it's just about just meaning just friendship and kind of like nothing else or anything like that, then no, nah, because... I do like you. I don't want to be just your friend, you know. I see potential of you, like, being a wife to me. And if you're telling me that you want to be just friends, you know, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and try anymore. There's also loss of respect in romantic relationships. Like, I might respect you a lot when I'm trying to get to know you and like you and want you to like me. But once I'm with you, stuff happens or I'm with you now. And it's like I don't respect you the same way. I might start taking you for granted. I might start disrespecting you or smushing you or pushing you or silencing you in ways that is disrespectful because I don't respect you. Hmm, Very interesting. I think that there just isn't enough real life examples of men and women having platonic friendships and that being it. There's always that what if factor. There's always that sexual tension. And that made me question how much of a relationship with women is based on sex. How much is it conditionally led by sex? And when you remove sex, I guess there's no point in having a relationship or getting to know women at all. What is the relationship with men and women and sex? As a man, our biggest weakness is women, believe it or not. That's like, you can't compare anything in this world actually going to put us in like in a difficult position than women, like period. Nobody else is going to say that. There's nothing in this world is actually going to make me feel like, ah, like than woman. Like there's nothing, nothing. Like this is like the biggest temptation I can ever have is, is a woman. Like you can put anything in front of me, money, whatever. Like you just like money, of course, they got money as well, but I think it's like, <laughs> money but like women and money like they like you know back to back with guys since they have to work towards that physical intimacy they have to put in so much work to get it they spend their entire lives figuring out ways to manipulate women essentially into getting to that position a really good example of this is when i was a teenager uh, one of my guy friends he taught me a trick where he said take a blanket and put it in your living room on the couch folded up neatly in the corner. And he said, when you're watching a movie or you're hanging out with someone, they will eventually go to that blanket and put it on. And he said, that's going to be your opening to get under the blanket with her to get her to that point. But it's like the amount of thought that he put into that was like ridiculous. I was like, you know, how did you even come up with that? And then the one time I did try it, it did escalate in the way that he predicted it would. People are willing to do a lot of things for people that they love. And that includes doing things that make them uncomfortable or things that they didn't really want in the first place. And it goes both ways, right? It's up to their partner to understand that boundaries are boundaries sometimes. And if they're not comfortable with it, 
they need to take the note. But at the same time, the other partner needs to know when to set that boundary. Communication is key. And it's just a matter of actually accepting that communication. You can talk all you want. It's a matter of actually taking that conversation and applying it to the relationship. That's the hard part. Because again, back to what we were saying, when a woman says no, a lot of men don't like that answer. So Mm -hmm. they'll argue with you, they'll bargain with you. (laughs) They need to just accept the no. There's this fine line. I can only speak for the men on this one, where it's like we want to do stuff to keep our woman happy because sex is a great reward for keeping our woman happy. But at the same time, it's tricky because if you're just doing things to keep her happy just for sex, how much depth is there to the relationship? It's like kids only behave in school because the toy their parents promised them instead of behaving because that's what they're supposed to do. If we focus less on worrying about whether or not this is going to get us laid and more about, you know, just wanting to see them happy, like those relationships feel so much deeper and so much better when sex actually feels like a part of the relationship, not an extra part of it, not like it's a privilege that we have to earn. Because in a lot of guys' head, they just plan everything out. It's a genuine thing that they're trying to do. It's not like they're trying to be mean or anything. They're trying to do things to be nice. But then in the process of trying to do something to be nice, they don't even take the other person into consideration because they're fitting everything about, like you said, around their schedule. They're trying to do something nice for someone, but you've not even spoken to the person about their schedule to see when they're free. You just thought, oh, I'm busy here. I'm busy there. I'm busy here. We'll do it here. I'm doing something nice. But then you're not spoken to the other person. You've just made a decision for them. You know, one of the best things about this show is hearing the honest, raw truth spoken out of the mouths of these men. These guys have nothing to hide. So they just tell me straight up how they've been led to treat women. (laughs) Better or worse, good or bad, who cares? Now what? How do we make a change in our relationships? How do we do better with what we know now? With any action comes a consequence to that action, and that needs to be recognized. A lot of the show has been me sharing my perspective as a woman, receiving a lot of the pain that is caused by men, especially from my personal experience. And in my own selfish way, of course, I wanted to seek out specific men that have done wrong, that are trying to change, and I wanted to see what that process looked like. And this is what I heard. I don't have a clue how I could write to somebody, hey, sorry I haven't been in contact, but I think that you're a serial abuser of women and possibly a psychopath or somebody who doesn't feel empathy in the way that most normal people do. And I don't think there's any hope for you. How can I write that into a letter and send it to somebody? You get the text of someone being like, what happened? What did you do to me? What do I have now? It's so devastating and I've apologized and I've really looked deep inside myself and never make those mistakes again. So I'm, I am a bit at peace with those mistakes that I made because um, I tried as much as I possibly could to right the wrongs. I made some bad choices. Like when, when you give it to someone, they never want to hear from you again. So what's extending a hand going to do? I did, but they obviously don't want it. And I respect that. I've said sorry, and I will never reach out to those people again because I know that they don't want to speak to me just like the person that gave it to me I don't want to speak to. I think we, as a society, we need to have a, a way in which men who have done things, or well, men people that have, who have done things 
that are wrong and hurtful have a way to make their way back into society as they apologize and as they work on themselves and all this kind of stuff because i feel like some of the narrative is like you don't you've, you've done this it's irredeemable right and maybe there are certain things that are irredeemable but even in a court of law like murder if you murder someone you're going to go to jail for 25 years and then they've deemed that like after that it's like you've done your time and you can go back into society but society is still like not ready for it right so it's like because if there is no way for redemption then what's the point of trying to make yourself a better person afterwards? I think the idea of accountability is really tricky. So for example, when, when I had my affair, it was with an intern and program that I was managing. And my, my former partner and I spent a lot of time talking about like, well, what's fair accountability for this failure? It felt like there was almost nothing I could do to reach full accountability for what I did to that individual. Do you think that there needs to be a great loss for you to start changing your ways or was there another way that you think you can move forward? I think I needed a great loss. Mm -hmm. I don't know what other people need. Yeah, I thought about this a lot and it sucks to say that out loud. And I, I also think it gets back to these, you know, looking at society we live in and we don't have these other types of loss, these rites of passages and you lose your, your childhood or doesn't exist anymore. And so you don't have these other moments for that. You're not challenged in any way. At least I, I certainly wasn't. So I think I, I think I needed the great loss. That sucks. I'm again, this bag of copper. Like I need, you need to float and go do your thing. And I need to, you know, find the inner alchemist in me and turn this shit into gold. And, and then we can maybe, we can be cool or, and I think this is the part about like, we won't be, like, I'll never see you again. Like that, that might just be what it is. Like I, we hold on to this, I'm gonna go get better and then I'm gonna come for you. And I'm like, nah, yo, I'm gonna go get better because that's what I need to do. The end. Like, One of the things I've actually more and more, you know, really let go of is that need to do something for or to fix or the obligation at all. I'm not motivated by any guilt, any decision to act. If I want to do good, I do it because I want to do it. And then I'll ask myself, why do you want to do it? Is that because everybody can say how awesome you are? Or how, you know, how, yo, thank you, thank you. No, 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 no. If you did that same thing and nobody knew you did it, would you still feel just as good? I remember when I started this podcast. I was really hurt and I wanted to get a hundred men to apologize and say I'm sorry from the guys that I knew would never speak to me. And in the process, I learned that you don't need to receive the apology, that it isn't about identifying what was right or wrong or good or bad, but we should start asking the question, what is the loving thing to do? And just purely act on love. This was a really interesting conversation, I gotta say. Yeah. I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting it to go like this. What did you think it was gonna be like? I thought we were gonna talk all about like gender, which we did, but not, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yo, I'm I'm inspired by and you know, to say it from a place of admiration, proud of like what you're doing as a like a dude, I'm just like I'm flabbergasted. I told you already, like you talk to a hundred strangers to help your inter understanding of human interaction and I do feel a lot of anxiety about this whole conversation. 
strangers listening yeah. to it, it's like, in what ways am I going to be judged also? Doing this with you right now is like a, a checkpoint or like a chapter of me accepting, like five years ago, this would not happen. That's been my biggest concern for this episode is that like, if I, I'm trying to keep things, obviously keep things vague and like, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you're not gonna use my name, right? But like, it's, uh, yeah, like I, if, if she were to hear about this and like. I, I, I don't know at this point, this is like a mass thing or whatever, but yeah. I wouldn't care either way. It's like, fire me for being honest, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what I think. I'm probably wrong about half of it, but there's, there's something in there I'm right about. So I'll live with both. What's the why of this show? You know, that's the value. If it's to create these vulnerable conversations and if it's to create a safe space for, for men to, to express themselves and that person coming onto the show, that becomes available for all the people that listen. That's so freaking valuable. The other piece that's just been essential for me talking about these things and not being afraid to talk about, like have this conversation we're having right now that causes me no fear. Like I could get on stage and talk about this. I will say that you beautifully orchestrated the music of our of our conversation and i felt safely led through the arc of whatever it is you wanted to find out um, i never felt like i had to defend myself or i need a recording of this to say no that's not what i'm like you know it was just like yeah like it was genuine and i appreciate that you shared openly your own experience because i think that was that caught me extra off guard i was definitely nervous a bit at the beginning and now i feel feel calm, feel heard, uh, which is really, I really appreciate. You know, whatever you say, maybe you, maybe you get in the wrong time, like in the wrong way, I didn't understand you, but I do understand what you <laughs> feel. And I respect you for that because I feel like you take a lot of courage and you really have to be brave to do that. You are a creator, you're a learner, you're somebody that the student, you're learning and, and exploring. I also kind of see you from what I know of you so far. As someone who's trailblazing, you're taking on this new format and who knows where it's going to go. It's an interesting way to like, you know, just shoot the shit on this stuff and actually get pretty deep about it. And the way you did it was my type of style, purely conversational. You're in a beautifully profound place, aren't you? Yeah. You're yeah. A, thank you. you. You are. You're in a very enlightened place. And with enlightenment comes isolation. And with isolation feels loneliness. But you should never feel alone because I really hear what you're saying. People will look to you for inspiration because they're too afraid to be alone. But once you break through that barrier, it's untapped potential and love, self-love, real self-love. Not like bullshit crystals and horoscopes and fucking, you know, like real self-love within you. You don't need anything to tap into what you have. And you're proof of that.